morning all. So for those of you that don't know me, my name is Nick and together with uh, Chris, we are the senior pastors here. You are super, super welcome this morning. It's great to see you guys here this morning. We hope that you have been made to feel really welcome if you're new or visiting. Um, We are kind of in a mini series of talks at the moment. Chris last week spoke about our plans for the year as Ashford Vineyard. And if you weren't here, he's chewing his own talk. It was really good. Uh, If you weren't here, I would really, really advise that you get the podcast. Oh, and cheering God's plans. Yes. Uh, So listen to the podcast. If you weren't here, please get the podcast. Super easy to do. iTunes, the website probably various other technological channels. But listen to the podcast, because I haven't got time today to go all through all the things God has done in the last year and all the things that we're dreaming of for this coming year. But this talk kind of springboards off of that. And one of the things that Chris spoke about last week was the fact that we are looking for £25,000 to fulfil our current budget for this year. That is our deficit at the moment. Um, And so we need 25 to kind of break even for our current budget um, by April. And we are also looking for an additional 25,000 to fulfill new dreams and visions that we feel God has given to us and shown us. So that is a pretty big ask. Um, And I'm going to be talking about money today, um, which in the first service, I did joke at one point that I might preach this way. Because actually, when you talk about money, something really odd happens. And everyone feels like they can't show anything on their face. And so I'm going to trust that you're totally inspired and wowed by everything I'm saying, so that if your faces aren't reflecting it, I'll know that in my heart. Is that okay? Great. Okay, good. So we're going to be talking about money, but I am taking a slightly strategic risk, if you like, today, which is I know, as I kind of, in personality tests, my personality profile is usually like the salesperson, the salesman, you know, can sell ice to Eskimos, that kind of person. Now, I know strategically the quickest and best way to get money is to create a really persuasive argument and to basically say, here's what your money could do, you know, this much money, this number of pounds could pay for this to happen and change this many lives. You know, it is there is a whole industry that revolves around how to convince us to give our money with persuasive tactics. And I know that with that deficit in our budget, that the best strategic move would be for me to be really persuasive this morning in trying to get you to give money into certain things. Instead, I feel like God has spoken to me about speaking this morning about giving being an act of worship. And actually, it not being about Ashford Vineyard this morning and our finances here, but actually about us and God and how we give us ourselves to him in worship. Which feels a bit riskier to me because it feels like we may still have a £25,000 deficit at the end of the talk. But the thing is, what I know is that when God looks to do something in our hearts, it releases the freedom for him to do what only he can do. My best talk in the world can't make anyone do anything. But when we give our hearts to him and we trust him, we release him to be able to do what only he can do. And that's what I want to speak about this morning. So, you know, why talk about money? Why is money important? Well, Jesus talked loads about money, like a lot. Tim Keller, who's a preacher in America, he's got a mega church. He's a quote from him said, if the, he spoke about money as much as Jesus did, there wouldn't be anyone left in his church. Because basically, people would be so uncomfortable that they would eventually leave. Now, out of the top 
50 subjects that Jesus taught on, money is number four. Out of the top 50. Now, I've been loving this, by the way. Uh, I don't know how many of you have got the Infographic Bible. If you have, give me a wave. I bought this for Christmas, Christmas, so some of you have. This is brilliant. If you find the Bible a little bit intimidating as a book, because there's so many words, um, then actually this presents the story of the Bible in infographics. It's really pretty. The data in it is, is amazing. It just makes things really accessible. And in here, this is where I found out that out of the top 50 subjects Jesus taught on, kingdom of God, so God's rule, reign, way of doing things was number one. God as a father was number two. Faith was number three. Money, number four. Now, what's interesting about that is prayer is number 19. So where we go to church and we feel like, do you know what, we need to just keep talking about the things that are really important, the things that really matter, the things Jesus talks a lot about. Well, we would think prayer, you know, we should be talking about prayer all the time. And yet money's number four, prayer's number 19. And when we start to talk about money, it feels a bit uncomfortable and like, oh, thank goodness this only happens once a year and then we can get it done and we don't have to talk about it again. But money is a big deal. Take the Bible out of the equation. Money has a lot of power and society tells us that. It is the number one thing that couples argue about before communication and children. Number one thing that they argue about. I read a research article which defined money power. So if you imagine an equation, money power equals, and then it defined what money has the power to do in society. It said it's the power to consume, the political power to influence the actions of government, the power of publicity via the media, the power of transport for physical movement, the power of communication for transmission of information, the power to entertain and to enjoy. Now, if we want God's plan A, we want God's heart, God's way of doing things to infiltrate all of those things in that list, we have got to start talking about money and how we spend it. We can't avoid that. It's really important. It is a big deal. And if we as the church don't start talking about how we manage and spend money, then we're leaving the world to shape our influence and our ideals about how we manage this resource. This is what Jesus said about money. He spoke loads about it. This is what he said. Look at those two blue bits. That is instruction and warning. Most of what Jesus said about money was giving us instructions on how to spend it. The other big chunk was about warnings, where if we don't manage our money very well, and then the green is a little bit of encouragement along the way. So if you're looking at your finances and your money and you're like, oh, I just don't know what to do with my money. The Bible's really clear. Jesus gives loads of instructions. So if you just want some instructions to follow, go to the Bible because there's absolutely loads in there. So as we talk about giving, I'm going to use that word loads this morning. As we talk about giving, if you are new to church or new to following Jesus or you know, have never really heard about what this tithing thing is or financial giving, I'm just going to quickly state it out for you. God says that he is our provider. It's one of his names. It says that's who he is. And he asks his followers to give him back 10% of his provision to them. So 10% of whatever they have, he asks them to give that back, that portion back to him to be able to fulfill his work, his visions, his plans. Now, at the 
a deficit of being able to have a bank account detail for God, we can't just make a backs transfer. So it's not like, well, I know I need to give 10% to God, so I'm going to put it in his bank account. You know, we can't do that. So Bible scholars and theologians have poured over this and pulled the scriptures apart and have very much come up with the fact that the way we do this, the way we give back is we give to the local church. And that that becomes the engine room, the hub of fulfilling the dreams and visions that God has for a particular area. And if all God's people gave back their 10% into those engine rooms and hubs, then God can have his plan A, his way of doing things across every single place. Because his dreams and visions that are coming through the local churches. So with that in mind, it can feel a little bit like this is a maths exercise. So, you know, I work out what I have, I cut my 10%, and then I give that back. But what I want to say this morning, categorically, is that giving is not about maths. Giving is about your heart. That is the bottom line. Giving is about what comes from here, not you sat with a calculator trying to work out what the maths is to be able to get this right. And the reason I know it's about heart is because across a room like this, there are huge diversity in income across this room. So what 10% for one person may actually be zero or very little because they don't have that income. And then 10% for another will be hundreds of pounds potentially. But what the Bible tells us over and over again is it's not about equal gifts It is about equal sacrifice. It's not about the amount of money. It's about a heart that says, God, this is what you've asked of me, and I will joyfully give this back to you. But you think the reason you're quiet is because sacrifice is like one of those slightly uncomfortable words like surrender and relinquishing and giving up. You know, it doesn't sound very fun, does it? You know, this whole idea of I'm just going to relinquish it all over to you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to do this. It doesn't feel very fun. And yet, if you think about it, all of those words are the same words that the Bible talks about worship. When the Bible talks about worship, it talks about a posture that does this and says, God, all of me for all of you forever. That's what worship is. Worship is saying, I'll give you everything in my heart. I'm going to pour it out on you because you are so good. You are so good. You are so good. That's how the Bible describes worship. And yet when it comes to giving as worship, that feels slightly more uncomfortable. Now the word that we have for worship in English comes from an old word, which is worship. And worship means to give worth to something you consider precious and supremely valuable. That's what worship is. And I'm going to read you one of the best stories in the Bible that I know demonstrates this. And it's found in all four books of the the Bible that talk about Jesus' life. So it's a highly significant moment because it appears in all four of those Gospels. And it is from Luke. So if you've got a Bible, grab it, but feel free to look at it on the screen. It's Luke 7, 36 to 50. Afterward, a Jewish religious leader named Simon asked Jesus to his home for dinner. Jesus accepted the invitation. When he went to Simon's house, he took his place at the table. In the neighborhood, there was an immoral woman of the streets known to all to be a prostitute. 
When she heard about Jesus being in Simon's house, she took an exquisite flask made from alabaster, filled it with the most expensive perfume, went right into the home of the Jewish religious leader and knelt at the feet of Jesus in front of all the guests. Broken and weeping, she covered his feet with the tears that fell from her face. She kept on crying and drying his feet with her long hair. Over and over she kissed Jesus' feet. Then she opened her flask and anointed his feet with her costly perfume as an act of worship. When Simon saw what was happening, he thought, this man cannot be a true prophet. If he were really a prophet, he would know what kind of sinful woman is touching him. Jesus said, Simon, I have a word for you. <laughs> I love, I tried to imagine that. Simon, let's have a talk. Let's have a chat about that. Go ahead, teacher. I want to hear it, he answered. It's a story about two men who were deeply in debt. One owed the bank $100,000 and the other only owed $10,000. When it was obvious that neither of them would be able to repay their debts, the kind banker graciously wrote off the debts and forgave them all that they owed. Tell me, Simon, which of the two debtors would be most thankful? Which one would love the banker most? Simon answered, I suppose it would be the one with the greatest debt forgiven. You're right, Jesus agreed. Then he spoke to Simon about the woman still weeping at his feet. Don't you see this woman kneeling here? She is doing for me what you didn't bother to do. When I entered your home as your guest, you didn't think about offering me water to wash the dust off my feet. Yet she came into your home and washed my feet with her many tears and dried my feet with her hair. You didn't even welcome me into your home with a customary kiss of greeting. But from the moment I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't take time to anoint my head with fragrant oil, but she anointed my head and feet with the finest perfume. She has been forgiven all of her many sins. This is why she has shown me such extravagant love. But those who assume they have very little to be forgiven for will love me very little. Then Jesus said to the woman at his feet, all your sins are forgiven. All the dinner guests said among themselves, who is the one that can even forgive sins? Then Jesus said to the woman, your faith in me has given you life. Now you may leave and walk in the ways of peace. It's one of my favorite stories. I love this story. But I have to admit, that's very uncomfortable. I'd like to picture myself sometimes in these scenes when I'm reading a story, to imagine myself sat there. This scene would have been so awkward, like super awkward. This immoral outcast of a woman has come into a place where she didn't belong, where she wasn't very welcome, and she has displayed this huge display of emotion. I mean, even just little displays of emotion can feel a bit uncomfortable sometimes. She is at his feet weeping weeping. She's broken. She's pouring herself out at his feet. And what happens? The people around her criticize. And they're like, oh, too much, too much. Could you just like a little bit less? Could you do less weeping? Like this is a bit too much. One of the accounts tells us that when she did this, one of the disciples says, what a waste of money. That is a whole year's wages, that perfume. We could have fed the poor. And Jesus rebukes that person because he says, no, 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 no. This is what worship looks like. 
This woman had nothing and she gave everything she could. It is from her gut. It is pouring out of her and it's so uncomfortable. And rather than Jesus saying, get up, you're embarrassing yourself. He says to the rest of the room, this is worship. This is what worship looks like. It is from here. It's from the core. It is a posture that just says, I will give you everything because you are so, so good. She's doing this. She is giving supreme value to Jesus. And what has that got to do with our giving? Well, for me, giving if it is worship is supposed to be done from here, where we give out of a response to God's goodness, not because we've sat with a calculator and done the maths and tried to work out what would work. If you only hear one thing this morning, I would love it to be this. Giving is not a financial transaction. It is one that comes from your heart. Now, my story of giving over the summer holidays has been tumultuous, to say the least. It has been a little bit fraught, if I'm honest. And what's happened is, as Chris said last week, and as I described at the beginning... At the beginning, I was saying, Ashford Vineyard finances are really tough right now. And when that happens, Chris and I, as the leaders of Ashford Vineyard, we have to sit and make some tough decisions. We have to look about what to do about that. And one of the things that we do is realize if we want to invite a community of people into generosity and giving, we first have to look at ourselves and our hearts. Because there's no way we can invite anyone else to go somewhere that we're not first willing to go ourselves. And so... We, tithing has been a part of my culture since forever. I grew up in church. I've always been, you know, fortunate enough to know and understand this. So from the day I had my first job at the fish and chip shop, 10% went back to the church, you know. So it's not, it's been routine for me. It's been something that's always happened. But this summer, what we worked out is that we were giving what we thought was more than 10%, but we actually realized that was of our net income. And it wasn't of our first fruits. It wasn't of our gross income. And so we sat again and we were like, okay, this is where we want to get to. We, we thought we were. It was an error on my part. We thought we were. And then we realized we weren't. And we realized that the amount of money we would need to change our giving to was going to hurt. It was going to hurt. What had been a standing order coming out of our bank account that we didn't notice very much because it was what it was, suddenly was about to hurt because we were going to have to make changes to allow to be able to give more. Now, it turns out that I didn't respond very well to that. <laughs> Understatement. I'd love to say that when we worked out what the figure was, that I sat in a moment of peace in Jesus' presence and said, Father, thank you that you've already said I have more than enough. And so this isn't going to be a problem. No, that's not what I did. I got really grumpy, like proper angry. I got upset. I got anxious, like really anxious. And this went on and on and on. And I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled. Because what I realized was God started to talk to me about giving being part of my worship. And if any of you have seen me on a Sunday, I love to worship. Like, it makes me alive. And if you stand near me, I'm so sorry if it's uncomfortable for you. But in some ways, I'm not sorry because I just love to put my love for God on display. It affects my body, my face. I can't help myself. That's how I connect with God in worship. But when a lump of money leaves my bank account, I do not have the same response. 
It's not the same. Like when I look at the bank statement and I see the money go, I'd love to say the same joy, the same connection with God as a father happens. I'm a work in progress. I'm not there yet. But that is where I wanted to get to. And I realised I was stood on a Sunday morning or sat in my car or in my kitchen singing lyrics like, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything for you. Unless it's with my money, because I'm not really sure I can trust you with that. Or, you're a good, good father. Yeah, but I'm not so sure when it comes to money whether you're that good. And I realized there was this crazy wrestle going on in my head where it was much easier for me to worship with my mouth than it was with my bank account. And that was a challenge to me. And what I started to do was say, God, change my heart, change my heart, change my heart. I don't want to give this out of guilt or resentment. I want to give this joyfully and freely. And so I listened to hours of teaching on giving and money, like from totally random people around the world on iTunes. I just found whatever teaching I could. And what does the Bible say about giving and money? Loads of different streams. And I listened and I listened and I was like, God, change me, change me. And there was one day where I went for a walk in the woods, which is one of the places I love to hang out with Jesus. And I was in the woods and I was crying because I was starting to get to the point of emotionally blackmailing God over the money, where I was saying things like, well, I think we might have to cancel Maddie's dance classes. I mean, are you going to tell her? Like, because, you know, she loves dancing and, you know, this is on you, just so you know, because, you know. Or I started saying things like, well, you know, this means we're never, ever going to have a holiday again. And you see how hard we work and we're exhausted. That's on you too. So, you know, I I was getting to the point where I was emotionally blackmailing God because I felt like he didn't actually understand what he was asking me to do. And in a moment, through tears in the woods, I felt God say to me, Nick, I am inviting you into more of me. That's it. And I went home and I changed our standing order and a peace came that transcended the anxiety I had felt for probably weeks by this point because I knew it was coming. And a peace came. And that doesn't make much sense in the natural because I just signed up to give more money that I didn't know where it was coming from. And yet a peace came. And one of the talks I listened to was from the legend Joyce Meyer, who I described in the first service as being brilliant and terrifying. If you've never listened to anything of hers, this was something she said, and it was like, oh, as I heard it. God isn't trying to take anything away from you, Nick. He's only trying to put you in a position to get more to you. And there's a peace that comes in that. When you surrender, you realize it's not because God's short of money and he needs it. It's because he wants your heart. He wants to connect with you in the same way as when you sing songs to him. And the change of heart and thinking was so significant for me this summer that I've actually got to a point where we're looking at our accounts and looking at what other extra income streams we could have in order to give more. That's the change. That cannot come through duty. You can't move to that place just by duty. It's a heart transaction that says, okay, turns out I'm over the last sum of money. Let's go. Like, I want to give more. I want to be more generous. I want to learn to lean in you more when it comes to money rather than trusting in myself. And one of the things in the infographic Bible that I found and I loved was it describes worship And I'm going to show you this. You won't be able to read this, but I'm just going to show you what I'm looking at as a picture. 
This describes the impact of worship, all the things the Bible says about worship. And I'm going to change the word worship to giving and listen to just a few of these. As we give, awe and wonder are experienced. As we give, others can see Jesus. As we give, we are renewed. As we give, we are restored. As we give, we bring life to others. As we give, we see miracles. Creativity is released through giving. In giving, we bring glory to him. Like the list goes on and on and on. And for me, the biggest change of heart came with a change of thinking. And that was a change of thinking that says, I'm not actually trying to pay God back because he hasn't got enough money. I'm trying to reflect my heart in worshipping him for how good he is. And I'm going to finish by telling you one of the keys to this. And that is trust. If you are going to change giving to be an act of worship, you've got to learn to trust that he is who he says he is and he'll do the things that he says that he will do. I'm going to tell you just a very quick story. There was a farmer who had a cow. And this farmer was pretty short of money. Times were hard for the farmer and his wife. And the way that the farmer got money was if the the cow became pregnant, then he would be able to watch that calf grow and then he could sell the calf and the money would be the provision for his family. So one day he comes into his wife and he says, amazing news, God has provided the cow is pregnant. This is great news. The cow is pregnant and that means we will have our provision. So then a few weeks later, the vet comes and has a look at the cow and the farmer comes into his wife and he's like, you will not believe it. It turns out it's twins. There are two calves coming and God has provided for us. And so what I'm going to do, he says to his wife, I'm a God-fearing man. I'm a generous man. When these calves are sold, I'm going to give the proceeds from one calf back to God and back to the church. And then I'm going to keep the other one for us. His wife says, this is amazing. So the calves are born, they start to grow, and then one day the farmer comes into the kitchen and sees his wife, and he is distraught, and he's sad, and he's miserable, and he's downcast, and she says, what's happened? And he says, God's calves died. (laughs) Yeah, see, there's a reason that's funny. And then the wife says, I didn't think you allocated the calves. Did you allocate, like, which one was yours and which one was God's? And he was like, no, I definitely allocated them. Like, this is something I'm super sure of. It's definitely God's calf that died. Now, when it comes to trusting God, the world screams, the only person you can trust when it comes to your money is you. That's what the world says. The only person you can trust when it comes to money is you. And what trusting yourself with money looks like is allocating your money to absolutely everything you need and then with what's left, deciding what to give. The problem with that is if that's how you manage your money is God's calf is always going to die. Every time it's going to die. There's a reason why we put our giving to Ashford Vineyard as the first bill that comes out after our salaries come in. Because I want to give it first because I don't want to have to make all the financial decisions where I'm actually starting to bring into play whether we need to give less or whether we need to keep a bit of money back. Or... Because what happens is if you give out of what's left over, here's news, you're never going to have anything left over. You know, I really wanted to give, but then the car broke down. I really wanted to give, 
But then, you know, my friend invited me out for this like hen weekend and it was in Spain. It was going to cost loads of money. And you know, it's amazing what we can find money for when we need to. But if you do it that way around, God's calf is always going to die. And this isn't about guilt. This isn't like, oh, I should. I really hope you've noticed that I have excluded the word should from this whole talk. There are no shoulds. This is an invitation. This is an invitation. It's not about guilt. Turns out God came to take your guilt away, not to give you more of it. So if you're feeling guilty, it's not God. That's like a really easy equation to do in your life. If you're feeling guilty about something, it's not from him. And if you are feeling compelled to give out of guilt, please don't give. Because you will resent it. And whenever you see any money being spent around here, you will get cross about it. And you'll say, well, that should have been spent there. And that should have happened somewhere else. Because you're giving out of this compelled should. Instead, God is inviting us to worship him with our money and our finances. And then the great news is that he gets to decide. He gets to choose what to do next. So what we're going to do is take our giving in a moment, and we're going to do that through worship. So as the worship team just come back up, you've got a warning this time, first service. That was a surprise to them that they were coming back. All I would say to you is practically look at your giving. If you're already giving to Asher Vineyard, we are super grateful. Honestly, the the way that your money is changing lives and changing the landscape of Ashford is so heart-filling. If you're already giving, I would encourage you to look at what worship looks like, what sacrifice looks like in your giving. Maybe for you, that's moving from giving to tithing or tithing to what I heard once someone say, financial promiscuity, which I just love. You're just like throwing money at people because you're so generous. And if you're not giving at all, I would encourage you to start thinking about giving. So what we're going to do is we're going to stand, we are going to worship, and the baskets are going to come round. This is an opportunity, not an obligation, for you to give. And then we are, as a church family, going to declare what we expect to see as a result of the money coming into those baskets. And we are going to start to do this every single time now when we take giving, because we're actually going to give more credence to giving as worship. So let's stand. Um, If you have forms on your chair and you would like to change your giving and you would like to um, let us know about a change of that, that really helps us. So there's loads of forms around and pens. Please feel free to put those in the basket or chase a basket down if it's gone past you already. So what we're going to do now is stand together as family and declare what we believe we are giving into. And so there are going to be some words that come up on the screen and uh, we are going to read, if you feel able to, then we are going to read these all together. So as we receive today's giving, we are believing God for financial breakthroughs, hilarious giving, blessing and increase, expenses decreased, debts paid off, gifts and surprises, favour for our businesses, raises and bonuses, cycles of poverty broken, checks in the post, jobs and promotions, entrepreneurial thinking, innovations that bring life and the resources to fund them. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all of my financial needs. May I have more than enough to give into the kingdom of God, to promote your audacious love, and to invite people into knowing you personally. Amen. Amen.
Father, I thank you for the privilege it is to be able to sow into your dreams and visions for Ashford. Help us to be a people hallmarked by giving as an act of worship and giving generously and freely because you have first given generously and freely to us. And if you are here this morning and that last line that said inviting people into knowing him personally, if you're here this morning and you don't think you've ever said yes to wanting to know him personally, then I would love to speak to you afterwards. And this is a safe place to come with all your doubts and all your questions and all your not knowings and come and I would love to speak to you and invite you into the best relationship I believe you could ever have. It will turn your life upside down, back to front and it is the best decision you could ever make. Okay, so we are done here. Thanks for listening to our podcast today and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.